Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. I think like what many we talked in the past, the teamed up as well, like most agencies depend too much on reforms. I would say that's how it usually goes. You do really great work. You're like, if we just continue doing great work, we will scale to 10 million. I promise you. And then it might go five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Nothing really happens. I think like the problem with that is kind of like you don't own your destiny. And I think that's relatable. Why we were quite successful. We were not agency people. We were SaaS people. We're like, oh, we need to hunt. Like if we don't hunt, we will not get the clients really want to do. And that's like where you see like the brag boards of companies. And it's kind of like sometimes it's one really cool company, but I like it local community things because a friend of a friend referred something. So what do you do? I would say like, of course, you need to put time on doing outreach and you need to contact people. And you're like, it's going to be bad for a brand. And I would say like, you don't have a brand. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Are you tired of relying on unpredictable referrals to grow your agency or B2B service company? Yes, Dan, I am. So maybe you hired a salesperson or a lead generation company and your efforts failed miserably. So here's the problem. When it comes to selling agency services and other consultative offers, cold outreach doesn't work. And that's because there's so much competition and noise. And the scarce resource is not differentiators, at least not with the prospects who don't know you yet. So what's the scarce resource? It's actually trust. And at Sales Schema, we've worked with over 100 agencies and B2B service companies since 2014 to help generate qualified meetings and keep the pipeline full so our clients can achieve their dreams. And I've put everything we've learned into my book, Relationship Sales at Scale. And to learn more and pick up the book, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Again, that's saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Today on the show, I'm very excited to welcome my old friend, Colin Mobeck, who is the sales director at one of the most impactful performance marketing agencies called Twigio. Before that, he was the CEO of the agency Relatable, which grew from zero to 10 million in revenue in four years, completely bootstrapped. Today, he shares his knowledge as a commercial advisor for agencies and MarTech companies, in addition to his work at Twigio. Without further ado, please give it up for Kala Mobeck. Kala Mobeck-Peterson, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. It's rare for me to have old friends, you know, from my past on the show. So I'm really excited about this. To give everybody some context, we won't go all the way down memory lane, but Colin and I were roommates in Astoria, Queens, circa, when was this, like 2012 or something? Yeah, I think so. 2010 or 2011, like a long time ago in another galaxy and in another world. Yeah. And I was probably my first agency job commuting to New Jersey every day from Queens the Port Authority bus terminal. You were in business school at that time. Yeah, lots has changed uh, since then. Obviously, I and mean, you're in Stockholm now. Yes, yeah, which which is uh, which is a lovely place. So I still need to go to. But today's episode, without going too far into stories, you probably can't tell on a podcast, <laughs> a business podcast for that matter, is talking about everything you've done, growing and scaling agencies, 
including helping Relatable get to 10 million in four years, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But for those who don't know you, can you talk a little bit about your background and, and what you're up to and so on? Yeah, sure. Uh, like typical hard pronouncing uh, Swedish name, and it's Kalmubek. Been in the social media space, started not the, often the agency world, but actually on the social media monitoring world at a company called Notified, big West bought it up. Always been on these kind of like uh, startup journeys, where it's like coming in early on, usually nothing, there's a phone, there's a computer. There's a big dream, usually like we got to take over the world. And sometimes it ends up taking up the Nordics, sometimes Europe, and sometimes we have also uh, gone for it. But I would say I've been quite passionate about like this journey, how digital and social media has changed the landscape where we are today. I would say I'm even more passionate about how, how AI will change everything. I think that's more of like when internet came to town, one of those moments. Yeah, and that's definitely something big, and there's a lot of different takes on it now. I think I tend to do these interviews in terms of just like, this is your life sort of format. So let's first talk about, you know, we'll get to AI. First, I'd love to learn, you know, how do you get an agency to 10 million in four years? Yeah, a lot of sweat uh, grinding. uh, No, but I think like... First off, I think you need to have a bunch of crazy visionary people on board that believes in something. In this case, it was to transform the influencer marketing world, which I'd say like was quite big today. We we're one of the first agencies that connected influencers with brands. So they actually had the same following. Now when we're talking about it, of course, it's obvious. But at that point, it wasn't. It was more kind of like, hmm, she looks like a person that I like. Maybe we should work with her. Let's spend a couple of tens of thousands of dollars on that concept. But I would say in general, how do you go there? I would say you need to hire great people. Like that's the only way of doing it. You need to have a strong product, like service, you need to hire great people and you need to lead, coach them and get the best out of their potential to have a shot of doing that, especially doing it bootstrapped. So we didn't take in any venture captain. So it was from zero to 10 self-financed. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's lots to, to jump off to there. I think first, can you, can you talk more about that? Like what in terms of hiring great people, what was your context on hiring and what did you learn from that process? When you're hiring people, maybe in sales roles now at Twiggyo, what are you generally looking for? Yeah, I think yeah, like hiring, it's one of those things. Uh, maybe I, I think I get this right. It's like the Dunbar Krieger effect where you kind of like, you think in the beginning, like I nailed the script. We have a solid process now. And then when you're up to maybe like a hundred people or something like that that you hired, of course, some really successful, some that haven't worked out, you kind of see like, oh, it was harder than I actually thought it was in the beginning where you thought like that you were on a boom. But I would say like, it's different ways of doing it. If you're going to say that you, when we're going to go back to the topic of you want to build something and you want to build something from zero to 10, uh, a million, uh, like I'd say you start by go through your network, go down, who would I like to work with again or who has impressed me? I would say like, that's the easiest way. At least like you have a short list, maybe of 30, 50 people. And you think, oh, they're good enough. And they might have like these five would be a dream to do something with them. And then, of course, like 
maybe need to have, take them out for some drinks or something because you can actually have them jumping on something crazy with less salary, with some big dream and potential of becoming something. So that I would say is probably the first thing you need to do. Then like after hiring is first bunch of people and hiring outside of your network and other people's network. That, like an athlete, maybe it's the second one. If you can leverage other people's networks, then great. And the third one, when you actually, sometimes you don't know somebody that doesn't know somebody where you enter new markets, you, I would say you have to have a solid structure on how you hire from A to C. I, I've probably done all mistakes. I've been done doing everything for like, let's not talk with anybody during the process that interviews the person and just talk in the end and see what happens. They're horrible. But I think structured and spend more general in the beginning, kind of like trying to figure out is this a person that's passionate, that loves winning, that dreams big? I would say like initially, and that that you also can dig down a little bit early on, like how do they reflect on their performance at different jobs? And then you go and dig into nitty gritty details. And I would say would need some kind of case studies for most roles to really filter out because I have a lot of people have been good during the process, but they haven't really figured out the case study. And yeah, I would also say if they don't get the case study right, don't hire them. Done it multiple times. It has never worked for me, at least. Sorry, what do you mean by case study in that context? Yeah, so good. Like maybe it's a case study, maybe it's a pitch, a case study. Yes, kind of like some kind of pitch, some kind of task that you have to complete. It should be different hiring, like a head of campaign management, hiring a salesperson or hiring like a CTO, but there needs to be some kind of skill set test and based on the the main task, what would be the main task for success for this person? Yeah. That you should uh, do a task for that they need to complete. Yeah. And I was sort of thinking about that too in, in my hiring experience and like Dunning Kruger, which is basically, you know, the more I learn, the less I know sort of deal is definitely alive and well when it comes to hiring. It's, it's hard to know performance, but I think you can. I think you can get better at it. I think one thing that I've learned is selling the position, you know, like actually being truthful and accurate, but having some salesmanship with the position is big. And the bar is really low because I think when you see most hiring rounds for most companies, they're underselling it and they're not really building a lot of excitement. So then they don't attract the right people. They get kind of the bottom or towards the bottom of the barrel. I see that a lot. The other thing that I've started putting more emphasis on is the power of references. Because I think a lot of the times the sort of objection that I hear from managers or from owners of agencies is like, well, you check a reference and of course they're going to say nice things because it's a reference that was given to you. But it's not so much what they say explicitly, but the sort of things they're whispering about the candidate, you know, and I think you can learn a lot from them. So that's kind of kind of how I've been thinking about it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, How to Take Charge of Your Agency's Future Revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. 
In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. No, but I think that's like if you learn to listen in between the lines, like reflecting back on some hires, that would probably be great. But I was like not that skilled at it yet, I would say. So what can you do to say like, I'm not that skilled on listening in between the lines, call up other people that they know. That's usually the case. If you know somebody else that they know, contact them. It could be a friend. It could be in any setting. That could be worth it. Also reach out to some other person that they might know. She's still feel like, oh, I didn't have anyone that I've connected with. Can always ask. And I think that's also, I would say a lot if that's not even close to what they said or the reference that they connect you with, something. Right. And I think another red flag I've picked up on is that they can't include any of their managers as references. It's all Mm -hmm. colleagues, you know, so we've changed our process and say, preferably managers. If they can't do that, kind of an issue, you know, Yeah, not even one. (laughs) That's a problem. And I think to add to that, like a question you can ask, I ask this guest every first interview, like, so when you get to the end of this process, you're going to be excited, like, hopefully you will get the job, we'll go, then we'll ask you a question and I will be like, we'll ask every manager that you had in the past or like if it's been a long uh, career, last year, maybe three to five. And I will ask them to rate you of all the hires they've done in their career yeah. on a scale of one to 10. Where do you think they would rate you? And then you can filter out some people actually say like, oh, it was a problem here at the, this company. What's the problem here? And that at least I said, like you get a more honest picture where they see themselves. Do they consider themselves to be a 10 or eight or a five? You probably don't want to hire somebody consider themselves being a Yeah, I love that. I actually, I do a version of that that I stole from an article that I read. And I don't, I forgot who wrote it, but it was really good. And it's basically you ask the reference, okay, how much experience do you have hiring sales directors or hiring, you know, CROs? Or rather, how many people have you managed in this role? And if they say two, then that's not a lot of data, but a lot of people will say like a dozen or hundreds or whatever. So then you, you have that frame of reference. And then you say, okay, who is the best person you've ever hired in that role? And they usually know, because if you ask a a specific person, they know. They're like, okay, it's Bob or it's Lisa. And I'm like, great. So if Lisa is a 10, where is the person that I'm asking you about? And then the last thing is also saying, by the way, sevens are not allowed. You can't say seven because people always want to say seven because they're not sure. So then you have to pick six or eight. So it's it's kind of interesting. And then it's like, okay, they're an eight. It's like, great. What's in those two points? If you're going to coach them to go to get to a 10, what does that look like? And now you're kind of getting a good picture of what they're really like. So that's, yeah, I think we're, we're on the same, along the same lines there. To bounce around a little bit, I'd love to hear, you know, you talked about kind of like scaling an agency to 10 million in four years and how a lot of that is vision and innovation, you know, disruption, kind of doing something that is new and wasn't really done before. How do you feel about the influencer space now? How much room do you feel there is for innovation in that realm? Like, What's your perspective on it with a little distance at this point? Yeah, I think it's uh, always good to get distance to things because when you're in it, uh, yeah, you're maybe a little bit too in it. 
Uh, but I think there's still like a lot of room for innovation. Like I think I, now video finally starts to take over, even though the TikTok has become one of the biggest platforms in the US. Like it's still all brands are not there, still pushing the same kind of like Instagram content. But there are a lot of things to be done on both the measurement side. And I would also say like there are a lot of companies that still have not really unlocked YouTube, which I would say is one of the most powerful channels to do influencer marketing in, even though it's the oldest ones. You're like, oh, it's going to cost too much for somebody doing a video where they talk about my brand for X amount of minutes. And you usually get like a photo, a short video of 30 seconds and so on. So I think there's like a lot of things to do. There's also a lot of things to do now when AI comes into the pictures. There are already some of those agencies that have been do creating influencers. Uh, like but it's kind of like being more freely in the studio, voice actor. But soon you will actually be able to also create personas and create the influencers that aren't really real, but that will connect with. And I think there, there will be a lot of room for innovation and growth. Right. We're basically connecting brands with people on YouTube and, and so on from there. So there's, it sounds like you still think there's a good amount of growth in that area. And to shift gears a little bit, can you talk about your day to day at Twiggio and just kind of what the work looks like? You know, what you guys are focusing on just for context? Yeah. Like Twiggio, like we're, because I may be the one of the top agencies when it comes to app and the subscription marketing. We focus mainly on those two pillars. We do a little bit of econ, but I would say like that's the main part of it. So I have like three things that we focus on. So the first one is the craft itself, like setting up the right ad sets and so on. You can like, you think like, oh, everybody has that uh, all figured out. No, not at all instances. And the, the growth was a big part of the beginning. And we helped uh, Spotify to beat uh, an American company, a little one called Apple. So then the growth part was a big part of it. And later on, it became more focused on the measurement part. We do incrementality studies, MMM. And I say, like, still today, like, if you know what really works, not looking into GI4, Meta, TikTok, the own platforms, you also know where to double down. But I would say what really moves the needle these days are creatives, especially like if you're on a paid social, it's the creatives. We don't have strong enough performance creatives because you need brand creatives. It's not the same thing. As so I work on the commercial team doing sales, but I also do marketing. So I'm growing our newsletter and so on. I help out the pitching, setting up creative ideation and so as well. But so my day to day is quite different depending on if I do internal marketing, if I'm out doing external marketing, pitching, or if I'm in sales or client calls and so on. So it's a little bit a mix of things that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So the first thing I'd love to learn is like, it sounds like you, you probably have your finger on the pulse of what a lot of these companies are doing. You're focusing on apps, you're focusing on subscription services. A lot of our clients that are sort of towards that neck of the woods and in Silicon Valley, have seen lots of slowdown, you know, I've seen like deals take longer to close because although the money's drying up, interest rates are high. Let's start with the what's going on right now. Like, what are you seeing out there? How are those sorts of things affecting, you know, your clients and your work right now? Yeah, I think it's a valid question. And if you look at the VC space in general, not only in the US, but the same in Europe, 
it has really slowed down. If you look at the clients we had like one and a half years ago compared to now, the number of VC clients is not the same. And we're also seeing the companies that got funded by a couple of hundreds of millions almost not making it, which you would not assume would happen a couple of years ago. Of course, like you have millions of subscribers, they must get more investment. So I would say like what we're seeing at the moment is like the AI space. That's where like most of the investment goes. We've seen some VCs being able to raise both on the app and e-commerce side, but it's still not like, ooh, here's a PowerPoint. We're going to give you a couple of millions of dollars. It's more like, okay, you're actually making money. We are probably interested in this. But if you're not making money and turning to profitability, I would say chances are that you will go bankrupt and not make it are quite high at the moment. Yeah. And to talk about AI a little bit, I think a lot of it, there's always been this sort of separating wheat from chaff element with AI. Like people would throw the words AI into things for years. Like I remember, you know, as as early as like 2011, you'd see AI in front of everything. And it seems like the salesmanship of things that are quote unquote AI has just gone up a ton. And I remember like going through all these new tools that were in a listicle and and playing around with some of them and being like, some of these are kind of cool, but like very few of them are actually using large language models. You know, very few of them are actually doing something that is new or wasn't available a few years ago. How do you feel about that? Where do you think the interesting new things are actually going on with AI and marketing versus the stuff that's just sort of always been there? Yeah, but I think like maybe as I said, it's always been there. Probably for the innovators, like you know, of course, like like GPT, older models has been there. But to the big public, what we should call like like the broader marketing world, not really aware of that. And like if you meet with marketers around to talk about like, oh, have you used ChatGPT? It's almost like yeah, I tried it once. It was cool. Still haven't really implemented that. And I said like that's probably like the entry level sin. Maybe use it for copywriting, brainstorming, to digest information. That's probably how to get started. But that's like, that's not probably super exciting for the people. Like, but I'm an innovator. What could I do? But it's like we have possibility at the moment where we also can say on the brand side where it's, it's possible to save a lot of bang for the bucks and also on the agent side to actually sell something that could become quite profitable and you know, clients also will save a lot of money on would be if you double down on the creatives. Like you're like, what? But mid-journey, you get six fingers sometimes. Yes, you do. But there's a lot of other things that you can do. Kind of like, you know, all those product shoots that brands do, the backgrounds to them, that can be changed quite easily. We actually have one client now where we started off in uh, December to try out like, a couple of AI concepts. Like, it worked. And now like 72% of all creatives are AI and uh, the most top performing one is as well. And then we do combination of mid journey, a tool where you go into discord, a weirdest tool for you haven't used it, where you go into like a discord, another program and just write in a prompt and pictures appear without any UI. And then we use runway to animate the actual uh, mid journey creatives to create. And I would say like the good part about this is if you figure something out, that's if you figure out how to do uh, like you want to do sh- pretend that you do a shoot in New York, Tokyo and Mumbai, for example, you can, you can just use the same prompt all over again, the same for maybe if you do a flat lay of products and so on. So if you figure things out, you can scale it and you can leave it to any designer to continue on the work. 
which you can't with a lot of other creative work. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's almost like both from either business or team level, as well as just like an everyday personal level. A lot of it is just resetting your sort of go-to habits and then going from like, hey, I would used to go to Google and read three articles to find an answer to this problem versus going to chat or going to mid-journey if it's visual, it sounds like. I think for people like, including myself, it's almost like there's this arbitrage rare short-lived superhero period where if you if you have that habit of just going to chat you're like coming up with answers before everybody else does only just because they're not used to doing that yet so i think we're in this weird little liminal space uh any thoughts on that yeah but i think you are and i think also like if it's always this we humans in general don't like change we like things being as they always been but things around us will always change and i think like feel like shit i'm a copywriter What'll happen to my craft if I learn this? I'm not doing my job from scratch. But the thing would be, I do learn. If you learn it too, you will probably continue on being the type of copywriter you will need in the future. If you don't adapt, at some point you will either be sent to take a course in it or the person who actually learned this will take over. And I discussed this with a good friend of mine and he came up with this brilliant role for the future, which I think most agencies will have, called the creative engineer. That's actually what we're looking for. Same with, like, probably at one point we looked at people actually being sketch designers and they became marketing designer. And maybe now the next step will be all agencies and all companies will have a creative engineer. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably already happening and I definitely agree. I guess I, I sometimes sort of boomerang back and forth between optimism and pessimism around AI. And aside from all the world ending Iliazar Yudkowsky yeah. type stuff, that's for a different episode. Just thinking about how it'll affect the internet. There's part of me that's like, it'll make things better and it'll empower people and it'll let people solve problems. And there's another part of me that just feels like it's going to make the internet into a tower of Babel more than it's ever been very fast. And then if that happens, will it drive people to the old things again more? Like, will you, will you just sort of crave shared experience, live experience more than ever if it just becomes a permanent spam box because somebody's mass replicated noise or repetitive ads or, or whatever it is any any thoughts on that yeah but i think they like i think where we're heading at least and uh, like looking at like apps that i think are super uh, one of the most exciting one is the pi ai Safa Suleiman, who invented DeepMind, it's actually kind of like the movie Her, where you can talk to this. You can actually both talk, and it sounds like real, and you can also chat with it. And that, I think, that's where we're heading. Everybody will have an AI assistant. But with that said, you can speak to, I guess, I think the same thing that was with social media. You thought that would unite us, unite us all to be on the same page and would find people with the same interest, which was true. But it also divided us think my truth is the only truth kind of like look at the election look at the us today how it is in in general that's where we ended up i think with this as you say we'll probably end up more lonely than ever and we'll probably crave like that kind of like old school thing more than ever before but we will get hooked on this that's just gonna happen nothing can change that but i think we will end up feeling more lonely and I wonder how they will figure out what you said, like, can this actually make people become more open-minded or will we be even more close-minded? I don't know, but it would yeah. be really interesting to see how it plays out. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're thinking of it as a tool that you can get utility from, like an Excel spreadsheet on massive amounts of steroids, then yeah. uh, it makes a lot of sense and it could make things a lot better. I think if you're thinking of it as something to get connection, entertainment, and inspiration from, that's where I'm more skeptical, I guess. Yeah, no, but, I th- but I think we'll get, go to that road, but kind of like we have your own personal assistant that will help you with many things. Yeah. I think the problem with that kind of like if you talk about the marketing perspective, let's say that you you usually you said you Googled free things, but let's say that you actually have your assistant, like what elect what you thought Alexa was gonna be, but it's kind of like this senile person who doesn't understand what you're saying and plays the wrong song. And now you actually have something that can talk back to you and give you tips. Will you really Google things? So I wonder how that actually will affect search. Or will it be like then this was brought to you by Chime, blah, 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 or this was brought to you by NetSpend, or wonder like how how will that affect the ad community if we don't do search? Will it be in the bots, and then you can pay to not get that, like on Spotify, for example? Right, or what happens when you know a hacker in Moldova just replicates that <laughs> a gazillion yes. times and sets it free, you know, and then you have that going on exponentially. That's what yeah. I worry about. Yeah, but I think that's like a true worry. Like, say, for example, voice is quite good. Like, you've seen all the celebrities, kind of like fake uh, Obama raps uh, and so on. This, like, imagine soon it will call up your mom pretending to be you to transfer money. What would that problem with text and DMs on Instagram? That will, I guess, like, be in cybersecurity. Like, that, that would be a good industry to be in the upcoming years because they're going to be like, with the good comes the bad and there will be fraud. Yeah, I think the other thing in cybersecurity is it's, it's done been a good place to be for a while. Yeah. I think is just the lack of the precious few people that actually understand how this stuff works. You know, yeah. on a deep level, is is so few. So a lot of it are people pretending they know a lot about it. You know, and I think that that's what always happens, I guess. But I think it's uh, it seems more pronounced now than when we had other technology, other new technology, I should say. That all makes sense. And I think with the interest of time, let's bounce around to some other stuff. Yeah, sales. Let's talk about sales. Uh, how do you sell agency services? Yeah, but it's a good one. I think like what many we talked in the past, the teamed up as well. Like most agencies depend. Too much of reforms. I would say that's how it usually goes. Like you do really great work. And you're like, if we just continue doing great work, we will scale to 10 million. I promise you. And then it might go five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Nothing really happens. I think like the problem with that is kind of like you don't own your destiny. And I think like at Relatable, why we were quite successful, we were not agency people. We were SaaS people. We we're like, oh, we need to hunt. Like, if we don't hunt, we will not get the clients really want to do. And that's like where you see like the brag boards of companies. And it's kind of like sometimes it's one really cool company, but I like it local community things because a friend of a friend referred something. So what do you do? I would say like, of course, you need to put time on doing outreach and you need to contact people. And you're like, it's going to be bad for a brand. And I would say like, you don't have a brand. Like, what? No, like maybe you're known in this referral, uh, kind of like close circles, but outside of that, I would say you don't have a brand. You have nothing to lose. Like people will actually notice you. So I say like, get out there, important, and you can work like yeah, with Dan and other great people to actually make sure that it is the way you want to be perceived. But after that, I would say you need to sell. And going in selling, I would say like it's not creating a fancy PowerPoint going in in the first meeting where you're going to show them a lot of slides and a lot of things you created. 
why not? Everybody wants a PowerPoint. And I would say like, it works same for most things, not only presentations for sales, like the main part that we connect and find people engaging are through storytelling. So I would say like, you go in, you have a first call, a discovery call, uh, where you should mainly understand, can we really help them? So if you can help them, a more fun way than showing a PowerPoint about yourself, talk about stories, stories about clients, stories about your company, wave that in to that first pitch. And if you're like, wow, I can really relate to this. But if you just show slides of you being the best, everybody's always the leading in, in their field and so on, they will not relate. And I would say like you need to have uh, clear get agendas for all the meetings. At some point, you should pitch, you should present the deck, but not the first meeting. And I should also you should ask for buy-in during the process. You should ask like Dan if you I thank you like to if you're really interested, I will send you over four questions. If you answer them, I will pay the pitch for you. Not like I can send you over a quota. Everybody will say yes to that. So you need to qualify the client during the process. And I would say in agency world, you need to take risk. Like, why do you need to take risk? If you come up with ideas and the client loved the idea, it's hard to get rid of you as an agency. But if you're mainly only changing the science or iterating of ideas, then you will get stuck. And as I say, like, you need to follow up a lot and always, even though he said the meeting went crap, Dan didn't even move a muscle during the meeting. He seemed really mad. Maybe that's just how you are. It was an off day and so on. I don't know how many times one business from that, or let's say like Dan said, no, contact him again in the next month or in three months. That is also a thing. Like it's not over. So I think like you need to be out there. You need to have a structured sales process. You need to create a sales process where you can learn other people to do the same things as you and you structure it up from this to this and how do you keep track of everything? Hopefully you have a CRM system and all the Excel sheet, and then you can see everything that goes on and everybody you need to be in contact with, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I think there there are lots of good mic drop quotes in there. I love that. Thank you for the shameless plug. Flattery will get you everywhere on the show. Yeah. And, and a couple of things that jumped out to me is just, you know, the it reminded me of that quote from Apocalypse Now, where he's like, do you find my methods unsound? And he's like, I don't see any method at all. You know, it's like, do you, are we going to hurt our brand? It's like, there is no brand <laughs> to hurt. No, but it isn't. Yeah. And I see this often, not only like in the agency world, but also in the SaaS product world, that you kind of like, you're protecting the product and you think like, when we get that first perfect client, then we'll get married. And then they're going to move into a harem after that and have multiple wives. But in the beginning, they're not going to contact a lot of companies. I think that's kind of like where you, like you should just go out there. Like people don't know about your product, but they should know. And the only way to get out there is to do sales and marketing, right. of course. Yeah, I think this is predicated on a few building blocks, one of which is being niched to a certain yeah. way so that when you do contact people, you actually can confidently know that if I contact you, it's worth your time to read this and to talk with me and to do all these things as opposed to not knowing where you're going or what you're doing. So I think that's yeah. really big. Yeah, but I think it's super interesting. Like when you said that, you should also give everything away. I was like, relatable. I think we had 200,000 subscribers or something with our newsletter, thanks to Aaron and some other people who built that up. But we gave away everything. We even brought the book, like that's yeah. probably the one I see behind you as well. Like this yeah. is how we do everything. And that is how, what you should lead with. I think, and you're like, why? Like everybody will steal our secrets. Yeah, but you have to execute again. It's not about 
how, like it's not about what you should do, it's how you do it. And that's where your agency comes in and will shine like no one else. You should give away as much as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think one of the most common questions that we get is, how do we structure the offer to get people to buy in an agency context, right? Because these are agencies have five, six, seven figure engagements, selling to big companies, they can't just snap their fingers and then make a big project happen. You know, you're doing outreach, you're getting on meetings, they're like, great, great to know you great to know what you're up to. We can't make this happen right now. What have you found to work in that situation? You mean when they say no, or how to package? Kind of both. How do you make that first deal happen? How do you package it in a way that gets people to take action? in the context of big, complex agency services. Yeah, but I think it's like you really need to break it down to have it super clear. I think sometimes it's kind of like uncertain. It will be this amount of hours and it can be this and this is not included and so on. So I think you should spend time like, okay, this is what you will get. Like, and you can do make it really easy. All these things are included. These are the minimum, this is the medium, and this is the big offering. Like, of course, and additional work that is not on this will be X amount hour or will cost you this. I was like, that's probably the easiest way of doing it. But I think you need to be super clear what's included and what's not included. And you should also be quite premium. I would say all more expensive than all the other agencies. You should not be, be like scared of charging for things that I think many agencies are like, oh, I don't know, the client likes this way. And just say like, oh, we could also do this, but it's going to cost you. And mainly if you provide value, they're going to say like, ooh, yeah, I love that. Just send us the invoice. So I think like if that's combined to the value that you give, you could charge more. And you should not be afraid of charging more. Rather have free clients than 30 clients. Or do you want 30 clients? And I think depending on, of course, your business model and so on, yeah. that usually scales better if you can provide the value again. Right. Because it costs a lot less. You're not onboarding somebody new. You're not doing all that work again. Yeah. It's, yeah. Dan Kennedy has this line that's why pay less when you can pay more. Basically, yeah. it's like, it's like flipping it on its head. The conventional wisdom. That's great. Call it. So kind of, kind of getting towards the end of our time. What are you excited about? What are you working on over the next few months? Yeah. But what I'm excited about, I'm quite excited to be in the like AI ad space uh, at the moment. So super excited about some of the work that we're doing uh, right now. We're actually scaling uh, content across different clients, uh, leveraging AI. So super excited about that. I'm also really excited about that creatives are becoming a bigger part of marketing. Uh, in general. So I'm really excited about that as well. And what more am I really excited about? Hopefully going to the US uh, in the upcoming uh, months. That's the month. I was really excited to be back again in yeah. after the pandemic. I haven't been London a lot lately, but not uh, New York. So I'm looking forward to be back in town. Yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Hopefully we'll get some drinks. And yeah, it's a gorgeous time to be here right now. This is the best time of the year. So call this has been so much fun. I'm working people go to follow what you're up to and get in touch and learn about Twiggyo and all that great stuff. You can, of course, like if you manage or maybe click some uh, link in the description or look at uh, Spotify or podcast link, you can follow me at Kalimubik at the uh, Going to LinkedIn is probably the place where I'm the most active. Twigio, you can go to our website, the Twigio. Uh, yeah, look in the link as well because it's quite hard to pronounce. It's the theme here. Uh, yeah. .se. 
and you can see some of our work and how we work with uh, clients and so on. You can also follow us on LinkedIn to get a lot of free contents on how you should promote the apps and subscription services. Awesome. That sounds great. We'll get all that linked up. Carla, thank you, sir. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.